0: There's often a negative word cloud association with road accident fund. I don't know about you, but when I think about the RAF, I think controversy. And I wonder whether that is fair or whether that is unfair. The Automobile Association has in recent months critiqued it even further, suggesting that a portion of the levies that go to the RAF fund is unnecessary. We don't get the right returns on investment for it. And quite frankly, that we could ring fence money elsewhere, Within the economy and within government budget to make allocation for those who are involved, sadly, in various accidents, fatalities, and other related injuries when it comes to being on our roads. Well, in this edition of Eusebius on Times Live, I decided to investigate this by actually speaking to Collins Letzwallow, the chief executive officer of the RAF, and put some questions to him about whether he thinks that, in fact, one of the important drivers of the cost of fuel in South Africa is a portion of the fuel levies that go to the RAF, or whether the numbers don't add up in terms of those who critique the RAF. But also, a second issue that we needed to drill down into is the management itself of the RAF, and whether or not you and I, as South Africans, really um, get what we deserve out of an entity like the RAF. Of course, Balanced journalism requires getting the other side to also engage in a story like this. And seeing as the key target of the RAF in a strongly worded opinion, whilst the Automobile Association, I also decided that it's necessary to reach out to AA spokesperson Leighton Beard and to get his opinion on some of the argumentation that had been made by Collins when I spoke to Collins a couple of days ago. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKeyser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're gonna hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans.
1: When people saw Their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema. Whispered
2: and said, "Sing it, sing
1: it." And then they shared that
2: zone. No, what I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? <laughs> so they stole it.
0: My first guest is Collins Letzualo, who, of course, is with the Road Accident Fund as the Chief Executive Officer. And as I said in my introduction, I want to explore the different components of what it is that makes the fuel price in South Africa so expensive, and there are different components to it. We need to understand, by disaggregating the different components, what the main drivers are behind the price of fuel in this country being north of 20 rand and heaven forbid if we should get up to 30 rand per liter because the knock-on effect on the cost of living in the country will be enormous whether you drive a vehicle or not you are necessarily affected by the price of fuel collins thank you so much for joining me i really do appreciate it
1: uh, thank you very much you yes uh, thanks and thanks to the listeners i think
0: It's really important, this conversation, and I'm glad that you've agreed to come on because although the news item that is the basis of chatting to you is a very strongly worded opinion responding to the AA and their charge that the road accident fund levy is a massive driver of the cost of fuel in the country, getting into a debate with the AA is not for me the most important. I want you to walk me through the numbers and the analytics in what I thought was a really important opinion. When a South African wakes up and they have to pay 24 Rand a litre, for example, what is driving that 24 Rand so that we can understand, if you had to do line items, what the dominant driver of cost is?
1: Yeah, i think um thank you very much your the the most important aspect of, of this is that to understand that uh what are levies uh, the pay the fuel price is actually made out of what is called the basic uh, fuel price and of course there is um um margins uh, that uh, are put in which are retail margins and the wholesale margin and of course there is uh, what is called the distribution costs, uh, which are logistics costs. So if you look at the cost of the fuel well, at uh, coastal regions, it's not the same as the one inland because of that. The difference is that uh, uh, distribution margin. And of course, there are tex- uh, taxes and levies. And these taxes and levies are differentiated. So you would get what is called the general fuel levy, which is the money that goes to the national treasury into what is called the national revenue fund. And then there would be a rough fuel well levy. Uh, and uh, that that amount is about two rents 18 cents, so we speak. Uh, and then of course there are smaller margins that are there that are also levies, but they are very, very small. I mean, it's about a cent there, about a 0.04 of a cent there. But I mean that those are not big, but the biggest part on the taxes and levies in the main is the general fuel levy and the rough fuel well levy. And the general fuel levy, I think is sitting at something like $0.93, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so
0: that's quite interesting because we've seen the price of fuel in the country going up. South Africans are struggling to make ends meet. And of course, we can draw the the dots from an economics point of view between the cost of fuel and eventually what you might pray for an item at the cash point. And also the overall inflation in the country, because the basket of goods will increase and given joblessness in the country, plus the fact that the economy is not growing, the fuel price makes a massive difference to the overall material well-being of South Africans. And that's why this conversation is not just an economics one, but fundamentally political and really about um, you know, our experiences of everyday life in this country and whether we can afford it or not. Now, the AA has for months said that there are many drivers of that cost and they have targeted the Road Accident Fund in two ways. The second we'll get to later, which has to do with the very concept of the RAF existing, its management structure, whether it's necessary, the best way to compensate folks that might be involved in car accidents, etc. But the first way they've attacked it is to suggest that actually we could save some money by reducing the levies. Now, as I understand it, but, but please explain it more fully, because I understand it only in a rudimentary way, the analysis that you have offered to try and refute that position is to suggest that if you had to look at the escalation in the basic price of of the fuel, the other line items that go into the cost structure, that the AA is actually disingenuous on your reading, that the numbers suggest that actually the last time there was a proper increase in the levies that go into the coffers of the RAF, was far longer back than the AA is suggesting. What is fact and what is fiction?
1: What is fact is that um, the basic fuel price is actually driven by the dollar uh, rent. And, and there is a component, of course, the oil price. If you look at the oil price and you look at the increases now, it, is, uh, it actually touched at $120 uh, per barrel. And it comes from the margins of around 70 eight times, less than that. Um, and, and that is what is driving the, the fuel price. And now it's easy to get scapegoats in this debate, uh, you said yes, and not also be sensitive to what South Africans are going through. But South Africans are also not alone in this battle of uh, increasing fuel price everywhere else. I mean, in the UK, they are paying more than 40 per. per, 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 per. A liter. And um, it's only people who will look at what we call scapegoats. For instance, in scapegoating, they would add uh, this uh, retail margin as part of the levies. I wouldn't understand why someone would do that. But what is um, uh, the issue is that over this period where the rent becomes weak and the dollar and, and the, 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 barrel, the price of oil goes up, of course uh, ultimately, that's why each and every month we then get that increases a consequence yes. of that. Now, the issue here, you said this is: what do you do when you are faced with what we call supply-side shocks? So Ukraine, uh, Russia attacks Ukraine. in the process, everyone else knows. There is a part that uh, we are losing in this debate, which is the role of the strategic oil reserves. because that's what it must do. At the time when you have got this massive supply uh, shocks, those strategic fuel reserves must be put into the economy to lower the burden on South Africa. That's why the Central Energy Fund was there and that strategic fuel reserve was there for that particular purpose. Now, we are sitting here. We know what has happened to the strategic fuel reserves. People are not talking about that, that we lost millions of barrels somewhere in the past, and people don't want to talk about that because I don't. I think that politically it wouldn't make sense, but the reality is that at times when you've got supply chain shocks, the part where you want to change, your, because now what, what we're saying is that we've got a supply side shock, let's change the structure of the fuel price. And I want to say this so that people must understand. The proposals by the AA, for instance, that let's go back to where someone would just buy a sticker, a third-party insurance, we come from yeah. that part where in the past, people would buy a sticker called a third-party insurance sticker and put it on their on their cars, and they would have been covered. But what then happened is that over time, people stopped buying those, and then they got involved in accident, and the victims of road accidents were the ones that now must claim against a car that did not have cover, and that created a problem. Hence the view that says, let's collect this money, but let's collect this money from all South Africans using. Uh, What we call the fuel levy and that's the most economic way of actually collecting this
0: money. The detail you've given me is crystal clear Tell me whether this summary at a high level gets the structure of your argument correct Even if there was no levy generating funds for the road accident fund you would still have expensive fuel in South Africa As a result of a combination of externalities, geopolitical realities in Europe, plus factors that are external to the road, accident funds activities, such as currency and political realities within the country. What happens to the strategic assets that we have when it comes to fuel? and that those factors would make fuel very expensive in the country currently, even if the RAF wasn't around.
1: Correct. Because the last time we got an increase Eusebius uh, was in February 2021. And you would know that it happens once and it does not fluctuate. So it's a fixed item. So we have not got an increase in this year's budget at 218, we will remain like that, but the fuel price still increases. That tells you that uh, the, the, the driver is not. And even in percentage terms, uh, you said, yes, we are quite around, I think it's around 12% of this seats with uh, the, the, the rough uh, fuel leave. And that's, I mean, if you pay 24 rands and two rand 18 cents goes to the rough, it's about 10% of So it's not the driver. It can never be the driver. It's like someone who says, now we have got um, an increase now, as we speak, of the um, um sunflower oil it has skyrocketed someone says um well blame something else they can't blame that because of course it's zero rated but they know for a fact if it was they would then blame better as they remove that so when prices increase because of supply side shocks the control i mean from the side of us where it's a fixed item there's nothing that the real accident part can really do but additional to that uh, you said yes we have paid last year 48 billion rent back into the economy of South Africa. So we are taking this money, we are redistributing it. It's not the point of taking this money and keeping it and using it for something else. We are paying what we call victims of road accidents every year. Last year, in our first financial year, we paid cash, 48 billion rent back into the South African economy. And the view that suggests that we take this money and take it elsewhere where there is no um, uh, economic activities or all. Because I think in looking at that, people are saying that we are taking this, or we're not taking this money and going and use it elsewhere. This money goes back into the hands of ordinary South Africans that are victims of old existence.
0: But Collins, you've wonderfully answered what was going to be the last part of our conversation, and we'll do it in the five minutes remaining, but thanks for starting us off. Regardless of the price Of petrol in this country there's always been a nagging question about whether the RAF gives us proper returns for the investment in it as SA Inc in the sense that when I did just a desktop search ahead of our conversation for this morning and I thought I could line this up and throw it at you But I know that I can also just appeal to you for us to have an honest conversation. I can come up with countless examples of where courts have hammered the RAF over the years, not just under your leadership. Whether it is errant lawyers trying to fleece the fund, whether it is the fund itself trying to really stave off maximum transparency about its books whether it's lawyers litigating you in the hope of getting you out of your position and obviously not succeeding in their first attempt because they don't as lo- locust standi as the courts put it to bring that action against the minister but the perception is if this was a live discussion on radio and i had to ask people not facts but How do you feel? And maybe facts also. But but what comes to mind if I say road accident fund? I think most of them would say skullduggery, corruption, etc., etc. In the best-case scenario, you have a perception problem. And in the worst-case scenario, even if you pay out the amount that you've just stated, there are management problems and there are litigation problems that are costly to SA Inc.
1: Well, um, I'm the first to admit that... um... The road accident fund rescue is issues. Um, it would be disingenuous to come here and, and paint a rosy picture about an organization that I run. I am here. Firstly, you would understand I arrived here in 2019 because there were problems. Road accident fund was actually going to collapse, simply put. You can call it mismanagement, but in the main, it had been lawyers that had cornered the road accident fund to make money for their own and not. Um, in the interest of the claimant. So we, we wanted to, we, what we are doing now, the wrestling, what you are seeing now is us trying to wrestle back what the role of the, the road accident fund is as a social benefit fund. Now, let's start here. We collect on a yearly basis, at least we collected at that time, 43 billion, right? So it's like your medical aid, so some sort of uh, collect money. But in funds, you understand fund management, you collect that money, for the benefit of of the members, or in this case, claimants, and most of that money per rent must go there. Now, out of all that money, only 60 cents, and and I'm saying 60 cents being conservative because if you take another amount, you work out to 45 cents, it would go to the claimant. Now, here's the question. When I arrive, what do I look at? Then say where are these costs coming from? Because the biggest portion is what we call administrative costs. So it means for each and every rent we collect, we pay 55 cents away to a person that must help us distribute this, including us, which is our salaries, everything Mm -hmm. else. But the biggest portion of that 43 billion, uh also about 10.6 billion, went to the legal fraternity. Now, and this excludes the 25% they would actually charge. The claimant. So now, so it means we collect that amount, 17 billion of the 43 billion actually went to administrative costs. 26 billion only go to the claimant, and all of that still, some quarter of that would actually go to the lawyers again. Now, the question was, what do we then do? We said there's no need to go to court. The law is clear, and all those things. As, as we move, we start to realize certain things lawyers will just drag this thing for the next four years so that they can actually be and at the end of the of the four years then settle now when they settle that simply means one thing you said yes they could have settled on day one why have they not settled simply because they are getting money from prolonging the process now we then said what do we then do one of the first things we did is that let's get rid of this litigious model We've got rid of it. And what you are seeing is that white noise around why did you get rid of us? But then there was a RAPS issue, which was a road accident benefit scheme, which was saying, really, let's look at rehabilitation of these victims back to work and all those things. But the reality was that when we looked at it, we realized that, no, is that actually doctors replacing lawyers? I'll give you an example. In the undertakings that we have, which is the way we say we will actually pay for your medical expenses going forward. Only 10% of them are active, you said yes, meaning it's either people don't know or they have not been injured enough for them to need that service going forward, but they were just claiming from the fund. The the latter is the most important part. So those are the things that, of course there's been all those, we are clearing all those things out. And we have said we've got a five year strategy, we are in year three now, we are saying people must give us a chance. In the last two years, we've been quite clear, we, we made a bit of a surplus, but remember, we must balance all these things. But what is important is that the debt, the short-term debt, which is the requested but not yet paid of the uh, of the RAF, has been now below 10 p.m. When we arrived, there, it was 19 PM. So we have re- reduced it by more than um, 50%. And for, for me, I'm saying, why is it that when we are trying to fix this, people don't want to give us a chance? And what you hear, you say, as well, is, People are then saying, why don't you leave private sector to run this thing? If it is so bad, why would it be profitable under private sector? And that's my argument as well. That, I mean, people want to say private sector is a panacea of all our problems. And we keep on taking decisions on that basis. And that's all. Yes. Yeah.
0: No, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's right. Just a quick final question. One minute um, most a slightly wistful question. How do you feel as a South African? That, In a sense, your job depends on or comes about because of the poor state of our roads, in part. We've got plenty of vehicles, but our accident rate internationally comparatively is gigantic, isn't it? And it's quite sad that the Road Accident Fund is politically important and a news item worthy of center stage discussion. Mm-hmm. on our pages and in our portfolio of audio journalism. But but really, it's ultimately because South Africans drive badly and our roads are poorly maintained,
1: right? Well, I can, I can agree with that. But I think we must uh, allow facts to drive us. 90% of all accidents that happen on South African road are as a result of a uh, human factor. Uh, the fact that we can talk we we can go on. I, mean, I, I don't remember so many accidents. I worked at the RTMC before. I don't remember so many accidents happening because of the road conditions. The issue is simply is that there is an alcohol problem in South Africa. 68% of all people that die on our roads die because they are drunk, whether passenger, pedestrian, or all of things. Now, that's the issue. The issue is what do we have to do to ensure that uh, there's road safety on our roads? <clears throat> the issue around law enforcement becomes important, but I think human behavior and human factor becomes an issue. And South Africans have got a problem of enforcement because of all sorts of manner of things, anywhere else people respect law enforcement, not in South Africa. And you would see it, I mean, you would see it uh, with, uh, with all that we, we, do, we deal with, that uh, the reality is that if we do not change the behavior on the roads, we are going to have need a road accident for a very long time.
0: No, that's right. And in a sense, I guess, you know, if you're listening to this conversation, the implication of what Collins is saying is, if you are really pissed off with the road road accident fund, stop drinking and driving and speeding, and then his job will become completely eliminated eliminated from our lives. Collins, this yes. has been a really important and a fascinating conversation, and um, I appreciate your coming on and um, engaging factually but also self-examining elements of how the fund is run. All the best. We'll hold you accountable for the rest of the five-year plan. Thank you. And thanks for being open to an open conversation.
1: Thank you, Mr. Bias. All we wanted, all the time we say, just give us a chance to fix this problem. As we always say, it has been bankrupt since 1981. And just give us the five years and see what we can do. And we are sure that uh, we are on the right track. Thank you so much.
0: When I reflected on that interview after having conducted it I thought to myself well I mean that's quite compelling. He had disaggregated the numbers in terms of the cost structure of fuel really interestingly and he made some really important geopolitical and other remarks. He also I thought did a fairly interesting job to try and bat away balls that are bowled at him in relation to the quality of management of the road accident fund. But of course I'm not an expert, I don't wake up and think in detail about the RAF, but someone who does is the AA, it's broadly part of their own reason for existing, and so I invited, as I said at the beginning, also Leighton Beard to be part of this conversation, and I articulated as fairly as I could the key arguments that you've just heard from Collins, and I engaged Leighton on some of it and their own positionality in relation to some of these issues. Here's how the interview with Leighton went down. Leighton, thank you so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Eusebius. Good to be with you. So I want to understand it like, as they say, a sort of primary school kid, or maybe even a toddler in nursery school, what your explanation would be of the different line items that go into that horrible number, 24 rand a litre, for fuel pricing in South Africa. What is taken for granted, as I said at the beginning of this podcast episode later, is, of course, the significance of that number in terms of its knock-on effect on the broader economy, such as the cost of living, specifically what a basket of essential goods would cost in this country. So we know that that number needs to be as low as possible. But the first step to keeping it low is to understand what goes into it.
2: So there are many different components that go into a litre of fuel. Um, and if one looks at the Central Energy Fund website, um, there is a very good breakdown. In fact, it's the official breakdown uh, that is given by government of all the components that go into that litre of fuel. And it, uh, it's, it's very instructive in the sense that it actually gives the breakdown for the different grades of petrol, for diesel, and for illuminated paraffin. Um, in the case of some of the, the, the taxes that uh, are, constitute um, the fuel price, they are lower uh, for some of the fuels. Uh, they're excluded from paraffin. Um, but essentially, what you're looking at is you've got what is known as the wholesale margin. You've got storage costs. You've got distribution costs. You've got retail margins, and those retail margins, obviously, are what are paid to the the service stations. Um, You've got, in the case of Gauteng, you've got what is known as a zone differential. Um, You've got, uh, you know, different uh, levies that are attached to the fuel price. The two main levies, um, obviously, as we know, are the general fuel levy, which is currently at 3.93 a litre. Um, that wasn't increased in uh, 2022. Uh, The Automobile Association has for a long time asked the Minister of Finance not to increase those, as has happened uh, for the past 30 years. It's it's increased sometimes by inflation, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. But we're looking at £3.93 a litre and then the road accident fund levy, which comes in at £2.18 a litre. And that is obviously used to compensate victims of of crashes in South Africa. And combined, those two big levies comprise 6 rand and 11 cents of every litre of fuel. So when you look at that breakdown, you can see there's a basic uh, fuel price, um, which currently is pegged at 15 rand and 7 cents. Uh, And then you've got all these other costs that are added to it. In the case of the fuel levy, um, it's currently standing at, three, at two rand 44, obviously because of the reduction of one rand 50 um, that uh, the, the, the government through the yep. Ministry of Finance uh, and, and Transport gave, uh, mineral resources and energy gave uh, for that. And that ends uh, obviously in, in August. So in, in a nutshell, that's pretty much how this thing so is put together.
0: There is consensus between you and the CEO on what those line items are and what the real numbers are in them. Interestingly, you draw different inferences about where the dominant drivers are, even though you cite exactly the same numbers. Mm. When I spoke to Collins, he was of the view that the AA is scapegoating the contribution of the levies that go to the RAF, and that essentially it boils down to about 12% if you take the other levy out of it, and that that number had also not increased since 2021 or thereabouts, and that he thinks the most important two factors explaining why petrol is expensive, fuel is expensive in general, are externalities such as the geopolitical difficulties in Europe, plus, of course, the reality of the value of the rand in relation to the dollar pricing of oil is that correct are you over describing the portion that the RAF gets as a dominant factor numerically in explaining the overall pricing or is he being disingenuous no I
2: look so uh, first of all I'd I'd like to address that issue of scapegoating I I mean certainly we are not scapegoating the road accident fund in any way Um, you know and That has never been our position, and it's never been our position to scapegoat any organization in any way in terms of discussions around the fuel price. Certainly, I think he is absolutely correct in terms of those external factors that impact on the fuel price. Um, We do have to look at these geopolitical developments, uh, and they obviously have an impact on supply and demand internationally. And that supply and demand pressure is going to impact on the local price. And then certainly on the Rand US dollar exchange rate. And that's a given. And, uh, you know, there's absolutely no. Contention from our side in terms of that interpretation. I think it's a widely held interpretation and it's a correct interpretation. And, you know, people often ask, well, what can the South African government do uh, to reduce uh, fuel costs immediately uh, in the context of those two factors? And quite honestly, there is very little wiggle room for them. Um, in terms of the rand US dollar exchange rate, certainly um, there is a need to create a climate of policy certainty in the country uh, to reduce. Uh, uh, um, red tape and bureaucracy, to create this climate of investor confidence, to attract investors. Uh, that's all in a way to drive uh, the value of the RAND higher against the US dollar. So so that's, I think, Absolutely. a given. Yeah. We are not scapegoating the RAF. I think our point of view is, is that if you're looking at measures to mitigate against rising fuel costs, and you look at the current structure of the fuel price, there are a few factors that we think need to be taken into consideration and steps that need to be done one we have called for a very long time for a review of the fuel price um, we have mentioned example upon example of where we believe um people have said that the re- that the basic fuel price hasn't been reviewed enough over the last 20 years and that there may be issues in terms of the BFP, the basic fuel price and the import parity price, which is the price that you bring the fuel into the country before you add all the other costs to it. So we think there is a review of that and that should include obviously experts in the field of energy and fuel. uh, And that needs to happen in our view sooner rather than later. That for us is a very critical part of the equation. In terms of the money that goes to the RAF, and I think this is to your point, you see this, you know, we get asked about, you know, let's scrap the levies and let's deal with those levies because I think it's a very important part of this conversation. So, and we make this point whenever we talk, you say, let's scrap the fuel levy that's $3.93 on every litre of fuel. Um, Our response to that is, okay, let's scrap the fuel levy of $3.93. Let's take that 90 billion rand that government generates from that levy out of the equation. Um, And then what does government do to replace it? How are they going to, to replace that 90 billion rand annually? And in our view, it'll be a case of them looking for other ways to recover that tax, because governments we know throughout the world are loath to do away with the revenue stream as constant as something like the GFL. Right. Um, so it may involve uh, you know, increasing taxes and getting that money in other ways, which is you know, counterproductive because you're taking it from one place and you're just adding it to another. Then we get to the road accident fund. And I don't think that Mr. Let's is being disingenuous. And certainly this is not a personal um, uh, uh, viewpoint that we have. But we are of the view that the RAF is not properly managed. Yes, they have plans in place um, that uh, indicate that they want to do a turnaround of that institution. But we look at what we have available at the moment in terms of the management of that institution uh, and the way that it is performing. Now, when we look at that, we think that private sector involvement in the RAF is more necessary. Certainly, um, from our point of view, that would make that institution better managed and governed. Uh, and then we also have to ask about this very important issue of what and how are the, is the RAF and other SOEs that are involved in the space bringing this issue of road crashes down because we have an over-reliance on the RAF in South Africa. Absolutely. And we have an over-reliance on the RAF because our road safety record is so poor. Absolutely, Lucid.
0: I want to touch on three elements of the last minute of what you you had said. Firstly, just to isolate this question in relation to pricing, and then we will get to the RAF in terms of its Mm -hmm. reason for existing and its role of job performance. If there was no portion of levies going to the RAF, bluntly put, would fuel be more affordable in a meaningful way or is this a case of directionally correctly finding a way to mitigate the horrible 24-and-a-liter number, Mm -hmm. for example, but to find... In your cost structure, one of the smallest contributions, and to say just because there is a mathematical net benefit to the consumer, that
2: therefore your argument must go through? I think that mathematical benefit to the consumer must not be taken lightly, Eusebius. And for us, if you take two rand off that fuel price, that's a start in terms of mitigating rising costs. We've seen the very big impact the reduction of the 1 rand 50 of the general fuel levy has had on 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 consumers um you know it's something that the aa welcomes so it's not a small contribution it is a significant contribution so yes If that two and 18 cents comes off that figure, it will lower that fuel price. Um, The question then becomes of how do you fund and compensate victims of crashes? Well, we've made that point as well. It's a question of looking at that GFL and saying, well, let's ring fence a certain amount from that fund to deal with this issue of compensation for victims of crashes. Are there other avenues within current government revenue that can be used for that purpose? And we think through investigation, you will find that there are. Um, Increasing or ring fencing, not increasing, ring fencing an amount within the the monies that are paid towards uh, vehicle license renewals, for instance. There's another revenue stream we think can be employed. So within the current uh, funding model that government has, we believe there are other avenues for them to actually make up that shortfall. Okay, that's useful,
0: Leighton, because you've added another prong to your critique of what was going to be the second question related to the existence of the RAF, its purpose, and how it's run, Um, which is to say that even if, I, as I interpret you now, even if the RAF was a slick machine, That if money can be a ring fence elsewhere with a net economic benefit to the country by not having the RAF, it would still be worth to revise its purpose. Mm. But let's talk about its purpose and how it is run. Mm. Um Collins was of the view when I spoke to him that essentially when you as the AA say that it could be better run if it must exist at all, if there was some private sector involvement, for example. That basically underlying it, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but the 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 subtext of what he was saying is that this is the knee-jerk attitude towards anything run by the state. He's got a five-year plan. Mm. He is in year three. He conceded, for example, through the numerous cases they've lost or been implicated in litigation, he conceded those crises but suggested that if the RAF was that useless and beyond repair. I'm not sure how private sector could fix it, he says. But in addition, he thinks that the idea that the private sector is a, quote-unquote, in his wording, panacea, just collapses back into romanticizing the private sector as the solution for everything and Mm. uh, perpetual skepticism about anything state-run. What do you say to
2: that sentiment? I think that's an incredibly unfair statement. Um, we have on many occasions um, in the last you know 30 years, 20 years, decade, um, spoken about the RAF and about the fuel levies. so our, our response is not knee jerk in any way. it's considered and and it has a legacy so it's it's come a long way. Um, there are institutions of government um, that we support, uh, and there are programs of, of government uh, and SOEs that we are supportive of. Um, we're very supportive of traffic law enforcement. Um, we feel that there are many, many traffic law enforcers and agencies throughout the country that do uh, incredibly good work. So. I think it's an unfair statement that anything that government touches, uh, we tame. That's not the case at all. And I think we've been very fair in our assessment uh, of of agencies and of government. Uh, One of the things that we have said, though, is that you can't operate... Um, a fund uh, such as the RAF uh, with the money that you get from the public without considering the broader spending of government. And I think that brings into question this issue of graft and the allocation of funds and the misappropriation of money. So yes, I think from a fair point of view we have to consider those issues it's not as if we are making these issues up you see this they are there and they present themselves and we have to provide that context um you know and and i think our ceo made the point as well a discussion on the raf and on the levy can't happen without a discussion on those issues it occurs in a vacuum without that consideration so you have to consider that and it's not us being unfair and targeting government. It's us just relaying the information that is available publicly and that everybody knows about. And, you know, I think it's very important that consumers understand it. we are not suggesting for one moment that everything in the private sector is 100% hunky-dory and that the minute somebody from the private sector steps into the RAF automatically and at the uh, at, at the stroke of a pen, everything is going to turn around. But we do believe there are people within the private sector who, have skills and who have knowledge and who can give very valuable input into how they, into how the RAF is managed, specifically in terms of its claims management process, which we know and which the the chairman of the RAF board and which Mr. swallow himself and which audits in the past have found is problematic. Um, And so we we stand by the fact that the private sector can provide some valuable input into the management of the RAF. We think there is a need for the RAF. We don't think it's an institution that is beyond repair. Uh, On the contrary, we wouldn't be this invested in the, the discussions around the RAF if we felt there wasn't a need to be. We think there is a very important need for an RAF to exist. We just think that in South Africa, the RAF is, um, you know I, I mean, there's been qualified audits up until 2019 um, you know, of, of the RAF. We've, we see the current situation uh, in, in terms of the disclaimer audit of the RAF. So there are some very serious issues within that institution and they are operational. Uh, and we think that private sector involvement could provide some impetus in terms of fixing those. That's all we say. We're not suggesting that uh, you know, because it's a government SOE, it's um it's it's not capable of doing it. We just think get the help if the help is available. Yeah. Or a priori right, bad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Before I ask my last question, just a very quick parenthetical question about your answer you've just provided. Out of interest, when you say there are experts in the private sector that can help, for example, optimize case management of claims and
2: that kind of thing within the RAF. What do you have in mind? Insurance companies. I mean, the, the, they're the ideal people who can deal with You know, you've got some of the very big multinational companies who have um, vast experience in dealing with these matters. Um, they do it for profit, sure, absolutely. Um, but there's no reason why that expertise can't be transferred to an institution to make it run better. And, you know, for us, that's a, a key discussion that the RAF should be having with those role players.
0: Okay. We can debate in future how what that might look like in more detail. But the last question I asked Collins, funny enough, it was almost a slightly dark, humid, wistful last question I put to him. That you know, comment slash question to the effect that later I said to him, Collins, isn't it kind of weird that your job, the RAF itself, depends on lots of accidents as well as poor road management? And he said to me, Eusebius, facts are important, and the reality is that human behavior is the biggest explanandum for why there are accidents in the country. And sure, we need to reduce them, but ultimately between drunk driving, speeding, and related behavioral factors, that is the biggest issue. Do you
2: agree with that, by the way? (laughs) Um, you see, Bish, you only gave me a half an hour for this discussion. Are you sure you want this answer? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's critically important and interesting. So, answer that right. one fully. Okay. So, um, excellent question. Um, and, and I've already alluded to the fact that uh, South Africa has an over reliance on the RAF. Uh, and, you know, the numbers, uh, in, in fact, interestingly, uh, on, on, on the fatality statistics and the crash statistics. Um, came through from the Road Traffic Management Corporation, I think in the last week, which sadly showed um, that in 2021, we had 12,600 deaths on our roads and somewhere in the region of 8,600 fatal crashes. So um, those numbers are not encouraging and and certainly from our point of view as an advocate for for road safety, they are very bleak. Now, um, there is this narrative that um, human error is to blame for 90% of accidents in our country. Now, we interrogate that figure, um, you know, in, in quite a lot of detail. We look at things like, you know, you look at road conditions on the road and the road may be in a good condition, but how do potholes play into human error? Um, if Eusebius is driving in his car and there's a pothole on the road and he swerves to avoid that pothole and hits an oncoming pedestrian, is that a road condition error or is that a human error? And in our view, Mm. um, that's Mm. not a human error. That's a road condition error. Now, you talk about Mm. things like speeding and you talk about things like drunk driving and you talk about things like people being distracted by using electronic devices and that's all going to human error or people overtaking on a solid white line. Or drunk pedestrians you put in the mix as well. Or, or, or drunk pedestrians. Very good point. Exactly. Now, you know, in in South Africa, we have this. We have this. Unfortunately, in terms of our road usage, we have this. Um, this uh, the sense of um, impunity whenever we we are we, we are using the road, and I include in that. Uh, You know, all road users, people who are driving vehicles, people who are passengers, people who are commuters in vehicles, people who use public transport, pedestrians, cyclists, motorbike people, everybody. Now we have this feeling of impunity. And so, you know, we we do go down to the local and have four or five beers and we think, well, you know, nobody's going to stop me on the way home. I'll get in my car and I'll go home and you go home and you get home and everything is fine. And nothing happens. You know, 8% of people who are stopped for drunk driving in South Africa get, get prosecuted. So therein lies part of my answer. The issue is we need to deal with that, that, that feeling of impunity. And how do we deal with that feeling of impunity? And that and that gets dealt with through effective policing. In 2019, the Traffic Law Enforcement Review Committee, which was a committee established by the previous Minister of Transport, Dupur Peters, um that investigates traffic law enforcement very extensively in South Africa. One of the recommendations from that report was we need to double the amount of traffic law enforcers in South Africa. So we need, by 2030, we need 50,000 traffic law enforcers on our road. Now, in, that's not happening fast enough, and I doubt by 2030, we're gonna reach that target. But therein lies part of your problem. If you don't have proper <clears throat> traffic law enforcement, you will simply not make people comply with the law. And if people don't comply with the law, they will speed, they will drive drunk, they will walk drunk, they will use um, electronic devices when they're driving, and they will do so with impunity because there is no enforcement environment which prevents them from doing that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is when you look at people who are actually prosecuted for road traffic offences, the number is incredibly low. So the courts need to play their role in terms of bringing that number down as well. And yes, that in our view requires huge, ubiquitous road safety campaigns throughout the year and road safety education in schools. When last did you see one of those? We as the AA uh, did some road safety education in schools, but certainly, it's a government imperative for us that road safety is something that is ingrained in children from kindergarten age. And that's something that we don't see happening. So, yes, Mr. Litswalo is absolutely correct. We have this very high number of people who die on our roads and a very high number of crashes. In fact, we have one of the highest per capita road death fatality rates in the world. Um, but we can't deal with that simply by saying we need to deal with it. We need to be effectively dealing with it by implementing programs and by increasing law enforcement and improving the judiciary to deal with road safety matters. I'll give you a very good example, Eusebius. The government wants to reduce the blood alcohol content level for drivers from 0.05 to 0.00. And the AA said, but, you know, what's the point? If you're going to do that, but your law enforcement environment is going to stay exactly as it is at the moment, and your prosecuting environment is going to stay exactly the same as it is at the moment, and your labs are still going to take a year to 18 months to process uh, samples, what difference will reducing the blood alcohol level make? And I think that is very important in terms of the broader discussion on road safety. Road safety has to be a priority if we are to reduce our reliance, our over-reliance on the RAF. And if you improve road safety, you also spare the country an estimated 193 billion rand that crashes cost our economy. That's not the AA's figure. That's a figure from government. So road safety is something that is often not discussed enough. It's pushed to the sidelines. It's not a sexy or glamorous topic that Eusebius wants to talk about. But unfortunately, road safety, if it is improved, has many benefits, more than if we don't improve it. So our view is, why don't we look at that as a priority? That's
0: brilliant and detailed and I think very cogent. I should say, in fairness to him, there is a meeting of minds between you and um, Collins on the importance of South Africans becoming more law-abiding. And he was very clear. I think because I didn't list as a non-expert or someone who just doesn't think about this as both of you do in detail, when I mentioned the idea that the state of our roads is part of the reason why the RAF has got so much money going to it and all the politics that come with it. Yeah. I think he pushed back against that as an incomplete analysis. He agrees with you on law enforcement. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And I think and I think that's critically, critically important. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, the reality is, as I understand you, and I must say, taking my hat off as an interviewer and wearing my hat as a listener to the conversation between the two of you, um, I think back to an article, Leighton, a few weeks ago that that we ran on one of our platforms in Arena Holdings, how, for example, you now find the potholes being a real driver of food security because of how it impacts the cost of doing farming in the country. So the question of the state of our roads and the maintenance of it is critical. Yes,
2: it, it, it is absolutely critical. And, and that, unfortunately, Eusebius, leads you down another rabbit hole. Um, and it's also something that we've mentioned. And, and very briefly, if you if give me the opportunity to explain this, um, we, <clears throat> we have an issue in terms of the appropriation of money from government to, to things that we consider to be important. And I'll give you one example of that. In Gauteng, we have the system known as the Train. Um, That system has built into it this insurance that goes to the private concessionaire Bombella for low ridership levels. It's known as the patronage guarantee. So if, for instance, the the system does not get the number of riders on that system that it says it was going to get, it gets compensated from the Gauteng government for the shortfall. In 2021, that amount was two billion rand. In 2020, that amount was two billion Rand. So you've got billions of rands over the last decade, 12 and a half billion plus being given from the Khauteng government to a private concessionaire as insurance for low ridership levels on a system that it operates. Now that money comes from the Khauteng Department of Infrastructure that should be used for the improvement of roads and transport infrastructure in the province. In fact, It's 25% of that budget. So if 25% of your budget in a province is being used to ensure a private company, instead of improving the infrastructure, you can see where the disconnect comes. I was in Soweto three months ago. The roads are simply horrific. And you can understand that there are problems and that people are upset that those roads are not being managed and improved and fixed and are suitable for use and herein lies part of that answer two billion rand as a patronage guarantee insurance is given to a private company 25 percent of the budget of the infrastructure uh, budget of the cutting department of infrastructure and and there's that money going away Leighton,
0: it's been absolutely riveting talking to you this is critically important it might not sound sexy but it's one of those issues where if you think about it for more than 10 seconds you realize that it's actually central to our political economy. So thanks so much for coming on the platform.
2: Eusebius, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. So that was the Automobile
0: Association. I must say, as someone who doesn't drive and think about cars, I wouldn't be able to pick out different models even. Don't even have a driver's license. I was riveted by the conversation in effect between the two in terms of how they were in a dialectic in this edition of Eusebius on Times Live. And both of them I thought were coherent and persuasive in different ways. So the question is who did you find more convincing? And to quote one of my favorite judges, Judge Dennis Davis, judge for yourself.